Support for this podcast and the following message come from the University of Alabama, offering over 70 premier bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degree programs in a flexible online format through Bama by Distance. Learn more or apply today at bamabydistance.ua.edu. Yo, 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 everybody, it's Stretch Armstrong. And my name is Bobito Garcia, K. Cool Bob Love. If you love this podcast you are listening to, you should check out our new show, What's Good with Stretch and Bobito. This is not your average interview show. We're going to be telling stories that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Find it on Apple Podcasts, the NPR One app, or however you find your podcast. It's What's Good. On April 8th, 1990, Twin Peaks premiered on ABC. The competition, and this is true, included the movie Jesus of Nazareth on NBC, Married with Children on Fox, and Murder, She Wrote on CBS. That's right, Twin Peaks, the brainchild of Mark Frost and auteur film director David Lynch, premiered against Al Bundy, Jessica Fletcher, and Jesus. And it was different. It was really, really different. Kyle MacLachlan plays FBI agent Dale Cooper. He is sent to Twin Peaks, Washington, to investigate the mysterious death of teenager Laura Palmer. Diane, 11.30 a.m., February 24th, entering the town of Twin Peaks. It's five miles south of the Canadian border, 12 miles west of the state line. I've never seen so many trees in my life. He meets locals like the sheriff's deputy, Andy Brennan, and Laura's classmate, Audrey Horn, and receptionist, Lucy Moran. Twin Peaks is also populated with David Lynch's signature eccentrics, like the log lady. One day, my log will have something to say about this. And the man from another place. That's the mule is going to come back in style. In case you couldn't understand that, he said, that gum you like is going to come back in style. This was weird television before television really got weird. Twin Peaks ran for two fevered seasons on ABC. It was nominated for 18 Emmy Awards and won two. It spawned a 1992 prequel feature film called Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me. Then, although the enthusiasm remained, the show went into hibernation. Despite the show's short run, creators of a lot of other shows that are part of today's so-called prestige TV boom, shows like Lost, The Sopranos, Fargo, American Gods, count Twin Peaks as an influence. And 26 years after the show ended, Lynch and Frost and much of the original cast are back. The series picks up in real time, and admittedly, it's a little confusing. We learn Dale Cooper has been trapped in the Black Lodge, a nightmarish spirit world. Meanwhile, a doppelganger of Cooper, who is hosting the evil spirit Bob, is wreaking havoc. The series unspools a number of seemingly unrelated threads, including a third doppelganger, a Las Vegas insurance salesman named Dougie. This time, they're all on Showtime, which is roughly midway through its 18-episode third season. I'm Linda Holmes. We're visiting with old friends and raising new questions on this episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour. Support for this podcast and the following message come from WordPress.com. Every small business wants to find their customer base. Now your customers can find you too when you create a website on WordPress.com. WordPress powers 28% of all websites. They have hundreds of customized themes to get you started. Just pick a template and make it your own. Plus, 24-7 support when you need it so you can get back to business. Go to WordPress.com slash happy hour to get 15% off your website today. 
We're coming to you twice a week this summer, the same content, but in two episodes. And I'm lucky to be introducing a panel for this uh, show that's going to talk about Twin Peaks while I take a listen. I admit I'm not a Twin Peaks person. So let's go around the table. I'm Stephen Thompson with NPR Music. I'm Glenn Weldon. I write for the NPR website. And also joining us are NPR's TV critic, Eric Deggins. Hey, Eric. What up, what up, what up? And joining us from Chicago, The Verge's film and TV editor and co-host of, you should listen to it, The Next Picture Show podcast, Tasha Robinson. Hi, Tasha. Hello, hello, hello. All right. So I am going to hand the show over to Stephen Take It Away Thompson. All right. Well, now I want to go around the table and briefly gauge everyone's level of obsession or lack thereof with Twin Peaks going back to when the show was originally on. Glenn Weldon, I think I know how you're going to answer this question, but I'm going to start with you, buddy. Yeah, I was an obsessive. I watched every single episode multiple times to the bitter end. And when it was canceled, I uh, called ABC and I wrote a not entirely hinged letter <laughs> to uh, ABC uh, with different Are size type. letters ever hinged? Yeah, it was this, this, I, I've talked about this letter in a past episode. I was a dieharder. Okay, so, so you were excited when it came back on? Tremendously so. Okay. Eric, how about you? I was a civilian then. I was not a professional uh, pop culture prognosticator. So <laughs> as a fan, I was really into the crime part of it, you know, the who killed Laura Palmer part of it. So when it reached the second season and it was obvious that um, Mark Frost and uh, David Lynch weren't that interested <laughs> in that part of it, I kind of left the show. Yeah. And But I really loved it when it was on, which is why I was surprised when I revisited the episodes to get myself up to speed for when the show returned. Uh, I did not like it. The soap opera acting the absurdity of some of the scenes. I just had a hard time wrapping my brain around it again. I think the reason I loved it so much when it was originally on is because it broke so many rules of television, and I was so frustrated with how crappy most television was then. But we now live in a world where um, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And so I'm seeing it through those eyes, and it didn't quite measure up for me. So I'm not a a huge Twin Peaks fan anymore, but I was. All right, uh, Tasha, how about you? Um, You could say that I was a little bit into it, I guess. (laughs) Um, If by a little bit into it, you meant actually recorded a novelty song about Twin Peaks when it was canceled in 1991, and not only sent it to the network, but came up uh, number one on Dr. Demento's Funny Five back when (laughs) Dr. Demento was was a thing. Uh, It was called Give Peaks a Chance. Give Peaks a Chance. Uh Give Peaks a Chance. You can probably guess the tune from that. And when it was canceled, a friend of mine actually organized a huge fundraiser to, again, try to bring the show back. We actually brought in Harry Goes, the actor who plays Deputy Andy, Uh to Iowa City, Iowa. And he signed autographs and seemed very happy to be in a place where he was the biggest celebrity in the city. (laughs) (laughs) All we are saying is give Peaks a chance. That's exactly it. You got the chorus down. You figured it out. You unlocked, you cracked the code. (laughs) (laughs) That is probably the only thing I'm going to understand related to Twin Peaks for the rest of the conversation. So I'll take it. <laughs> so, so, so Tasha, follow-up question. Were you then excited 
when you found out that that Showtime was bringing this show back after 25 years? I mean, I was excited, but I was also terrified. Like, I'm not one of those you ruined my childhood people, but I am so tired of the remake concept. But I really wanted it to be great. And particularly given that the whole new series was sold on the idea that David Lynch didn't have creative freedom back in the 90s. Now he had complete creative freedom. We were going to get his untrammeled vision. And it's possible (laughs) that vision should have been a little more trammeled. (laughs) (laughs) I I do like like the way it's like, finally, David Lynch will be allowed to indulge. (laughs) (laughs) So, Stephen, how about you? I interacted with Twin Peaks mostly secondhand. I watched an episode here and there when it was originally on, but I think I ultimately related to it and connected to it more through references. Uh, So it was a show that was on the wind at a pivotal time in my life. I knew that it was important to a lot of my friends, but I didn't dig into it with an obsessive's eye the way so many people around me were. So for me, coming into this show, I am basically a newborn baby. And so I watched the 10 episodes of this show that have aired so far without a lot of the detailed context. I know who the log lady is. I know who Dale Cooper is. I've got some of the basic contours of what qualifies as the plot of of, of the show. I'm there to tell people if they will get anything out of this as somebody who really doesn't know Twin Peaks. And? You really kind of have to know Twin Peaks. (laughs) (laughs) This is for a very, very, very specific audience. They are all self-selected. They are all in this. And it took me, obviously, a while to catch up. I'm going to push back on that just a bit because I was worried it would be mere fan service. That it would not be a reboot, but just a retread. Right. Mm -hmm. It would just be hitting the points that Twin Peaks kind of came to be in the public consciousness. Donuts, damn good coffee, cherry pie, red drapes. That's what I figured we'd get a lot of. And there is some fan service in in, in a given episode. I am here to say, and I'm not here for it. I'm here to say I am not picking up what all these Andy Lucy scenes are putting down. (laughs) But it does also feel like a victory lap to David Lynch's career. We're getting a lot of images and actors and situations and dialogue from a lot of his films. So it does feel like he's kind of reanimating some of his old work in a way. I watch every single episode, every single scene with exactly two minds, two different things happening in my head at the same time. One, I am lucky to be watching this. This is exactly what I wanted. This is absurdism being uh, served up on, on my television. I don't have to go to an art house for it. It's happening here. I'm back in East Town with these actors. I love this. And 50% of myself is rolling my eyes and making a very specific repetitive hand gesture. <laughs> that, that is the world that this this thing is conjuring for me. And I am living it. I am delighted. I have lots and lots of uh, critiques, which I'm not seeing a lot of in the critical community. This thing is being embraced in a way that surprises me, given how hit and miss it is. I mean, if you're watching it, it's because you're into it. I think that there are a lot of people watching this show because they want to be into it. They want it to be more than it is. They have those memories. And they don't want to admit that the emperor has no clothes. They don't want to admit that they don't know what's going on. A lot of critical outlets are doing recaps that really don't amount to much more than, and here's what happened. Mm -hmm. And the bizarre thing about both old Twin Peaks and new Twin Peaks is if you just say, here's what happened, it comes across as so much more linear and coherent than it actually is. I mean, if you describe this as... (laughs) 
the story of a bunch of people finally realize that something went terribly wrong 25 years ago and try to deal with it while a series of mysteries unfolds. That sounds like a conventional television show where you know what to expect. This, I, I feel like there is no plot description that will give you the experience of watching New Twin Peaks. I think to properly critique the New Twin Peaks, you need to just tell people to sit in a darkened room, listen to Nine Inch Nails, slow down 600%, drip absinthe on their head, and like slowly poke needles into their flesh. That's, that's, that's much wow. more what it's like than Talk an about actual plot a picture. description. Yeah. Well, now, I, I do have to say that for me, and I'm someone who has a very low tolerance for storytellers who I feel are pulling an okie doke with the audience, pretending something is more significant than it actually is and shrouding it in mystery to hide the fact that they don't really know what they're doing. But I'm constantly going back to this idea that David Lynch started as a painter. Mm-hmm. And in an art, in visual art, in painting, the canvas is sort of created by the artist and then the artist sort of goes, okay, here you go. You figure out what it means. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I feel like a lot of this show is that. If you're up for a show that is constantly saying, I'm not going to tell you what this means. I'm just going to give you these compelling images and these compelling bits of plot, and you get to figure out what it means, then you're in heaven and you love it. I'm not as up for that, you know? Yeah. So it's it's hard for me to watch these episodes because it's constantly begging you to try to make sense of it, even as it presents all these things that you can never make sense of. That's a good point. Uh, the world has changed. When Twin Peaks was on in 1990, and I was watching it in my you know, off-campus housing uh, in college, and that first dream sequence happened, I remember rolling around on the floor <laughs> with delight, which I do not recommend in off-campus housing. Uh, that was not a smart move. Um, but and then we got out of the hospital a couple weeks later. That's right. <laughs> but, I mean, this was because it was on ABC Prime Time on the network whose idea of absurdity was maybe Steve Urkel becomes Stefan Urkel. Right. That's 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 about as close as it got. And right. here was this thing that was being served up. Now, so now the world has completely changed. And I listen to entirely too many Twin Peaks The Return podcasts. And those are the people, Stephen, that you're talking about. The people who are there, they're self-selected, they're in right. completely. And they're also, unfortunately, literalists. They are picking this thing apart as if everything means something. Oh. Uh, by the way, if you want to pick the tough row to hoe, Lynchian <laughs> literalist <laughs> is oh the one. God. Because people are really talking about Lynch as if he's the guy behind this thing. And right. he is, but he's only 50%. Right. And the thing that's mm-hmm. important to remember here is that Lynch is responsible for how this thing looks and sounds. He's also sound editor, sound designer, and feels. This is what everybody's talking about, the dream logic, how things connect, but they don't connect on the kind of intellectual level. They connect on an emotional level. Mark Frost, who is the story guy, the structure guy, he is trying to weave a lot of real-world apocryphal history, UFOs, and magic spots, and all this stuff, all this American history into this world. He's the world builder. Mm -hmm. So Mm. all these people are looking to Lynch to say, this is all going to mean something, when it's not. Right. And if it is, there is a structure to this thing, and it just shows up at the weirdest place. Just in the last episode, episode 10, all these disparate plot threads that are happening in the, in the town of Las Vegas suddenly connect. So there is a structure to this thing. It is just not mm-hmm. conventional. There are storytellers who can tell a story in 18 episodes and, and structure it conventionally. There's a way to do it. He's just not interested in doing it. For these people, part of the fun, and for a large part of the critical community, part of the fun is kind of connect these dots that are not connected, which is, you know, that's the human thing. We do that. That's the constellations, dots that are not connected. We make these (laughs) connections. I want to say that's wrong to do. You're setting yourself up for a big disappointment. 
the show is kind of the ultimate in the human phenomenon. If if you put two images, if you edit two images together side by side, the brain will try to make sense of it. The brain mm-hmm. will try to create a story and assume that they're connected. And there's a dream episode in this thing that I went through the entire thing thinking – This is just an experiment in how far our brains will go to make connections and create a story where there's just a series of images. I think that David Lynch is trying to communicate something. I think that he has a giant worldview in mind. I think that it may be at odds a little bit with Mark Frost's sensibility and and the story that he's telling. I feel like the show is struggling against itself. Like, I want to sign up for the fan service version that, that Glenn originally imagined. My ideal fan service version would have a lot less Andy and Lucy. (laughs) Uh, and a lot more of the other legacy characters. But I would love to see that version. At the same time, the version that does have the legacy characters that is there for the fans, that's like, hey, what have these people you care about emotionally been doing for 25 years? Seems like it's so much at odds with the contemporary stuff and what's going on. And then any attempt to actually tell a a coherent crime story is at odds with David Lynch's dream logic. Mm. And since the very beginning of his career, David Lynch has been called dreamlike. And I think that's not just because of this like symbolistic emotional logic. It's because he has a talent for creating that sense that, that comes to you in a dream of dread and foreboding that comes out of nothing specific. And that sense that there's more going on than you can possibly understand. And it just feels like so often that is the way to interpret the show is to just let the yep. feelings wash over you and, and drink it all in. But then there are all of these pieces that keep trying to fit together. And to me, that it's just a basic conflict at the heart of it. Well, I, I got to say, picking up on that idea of it would be nice to see more focus on these legacy characters and how they progressed or not, uh, too often I have felt that these characters aren't really characters. They don't feel like characters to me. They feel like plot devices or they feel like contrivances. Some of these characters feel like they've had a life over the 25 years that we haven't seen them. But others of them, all they've been doing is waiting in the wings for David Lynch to position them in another weird, absurdist uh, tableau. So much of the show is about stagnation, though. I mean, on a on a plot level, on a story level, on a character level, I think it's pretty consistent to have those characters sitting around doing nothing. Can I ask all three of you a question? What do you want from this? Did you want, 25 years later, Cooper and Truman solve another case in Twin Peaks? Is that what you're looking for? Is that is that what would satisfy you? For me, I guess I wanted to see just a little more coherent story about Bob and about Agent Cooper and about how all that is going to end up. You know, the first of the new episodes, you know, we get this sense, okay, Agent Cooper's trying to get out of where he's been, and Bob is running amok in our earthly plane. I wanted a little more concrete, okay, here's what this is about. Here's how these two forces are going to oppose each other, and here's what the stakes are. I feel like all this other stuff has kind of distracted me from what I've really been interested in, which is uh, which is Cooper and Bob. Okay, how about you, Tasha? I feel like what I wanted fundamentally is to come to 
a better understanding of this world through somebody that spent 25 years locked up in in the spirit world, essentially. Like, he doesn't seem to have learned anything or progressed during that time. And it's more of the stagnation theme. But it just seems to me there are characters in the series with wisdom. You know, there are characters who understand bits and pieces of how this great supernatural world works. And I was hoping to, I guess, see a little more of them or to see some of the characters who spent so much of the first seasons coming to understand that these things existed. I wanted them to move forward to coming to understand a little more about how they relate to them and what they can do about them. Hmm. Yeah, I guess for me, I mean, I'm, I feel like such a tourist with this show that mm-hmm. I don't know what necessarily I'm entitled to. The parts of this show that I've found the most compelling and the most moving, you're catching up with so many characters, several of whom are at the end of their lives. And mm-hmm. I'm talking as much about the actors as I, yeah. as I am about the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, at the end of the first, I have three or four episodes. In the credits, there is, you know, in memory of Catherine Coulson, in mm-hmm. memory of Miguel Ferrer, in memory of Don S. Davis. So you do have this really interesting and, as we've said, beautifully shot uh, thing that's as, that's as much about just the aging of these characters as anything. And and, and that part to me, the, any kind of human connection to these stories have been what draws me in the most. And I will say I'm here for a certain amount of just bonkers, David Lynchian, you know, he's in the, the Black Lodge and he's he's <laughs> he's being dressed down by a tree branch with a wad of <laughs> chewing gum for a, he- a brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, that stuff, I, I think uh, at times a little of it goes a long way, but I do I do enjoy just marinating in this bonkers universe. I mean, one of the things that has also struck me about watching this is seeing the typical David Lynchian themes kind of resurrect it. And one thing that I was also hoping to see was some progress there. You know, maybe Lynch has found something new to say about sort of psychotically abusive people. (laughs) Maybe he's found something new to say about, you know, presenting these sort of, you know, 1950s style images of innocence that then get marred by this incredibly absurd, crazy stuff that he lets happen. And I didn't see much of that. Maybe I missed it. And the other thing that's always disappointed me about Lynch is that his focus on presenting these visuals that sort of harken back to the 50s push people of color to the edges right. of mm-hmm. whatever he's doing. And this show is so white. Yeah. And it's not just because there aren't people of color in it. Like there's an image of what's beautiful and what's pristine and what is gleaming. And it's so white. And, and, and uh, that's the one thing that's kind of bummed me out about this. I would I would add to that. I read a, a really nice uh, piece about the show. They've they've been recapping it at the AV Club, and and I think that Emily Stevens is doing a nice job recapping the show. But she made a point about um, that Lynch makes a lot of commentary on quote the disposability of women's bodies, mm-hmm. and and I do think that's a really interesting point. But I think that would have more resonance to me if any of these characters were more vividly drawn. I think that. You have so many women on the show who, first of all, are murder victims, Mm -hmm. just person after person after person after person. Mm -hmm. Um, But you've also, you know, you've got a prostitute over here, the nagging wife over here, several kind of caretaker characters. I get frustrated with how, other than Naomi Watts, how few female characters are vividly drawn in any real way when you couple that with how 
often and how spectacularly they are murdered. The most vivid women in this thing are are nags, are mm-hmm. abrasive and angry and bullying, and the men tend to be much quieter and more laid back. The fact that Lynch draws so much of his iconography out of the way he kind of fetishizes women from the 1940s and 1950s in cinema, I think, means that he's drawing very heavily on a lot of stereotypes, Mm -hmm. the vamp, uh, the scold, Mm -hmm. and the victim. And these same images just come up over and over and over. And it's like... There was a point back in the 90s where it kind of felt like he was trying to explore or reinvent some of these characters. Or he had weird, weird characters like Nadine who didn't fit any of them. In the revival of the show, I'm really hard-pressed to point to a woman that isn't like some kind of a very dull cliche. Right. I mean, fundamentally, this this show is and always has been in a way that I think only recent episodes are really starting to make clear about an evil male spirit and a good female spirit like locked in eternal combat. And laying it out like that, again, makes it sound much more linear and coherent than it actually comes Mm -hmm. across on screen. But I think that that is kind of at the basis of Lynch's worldview is this idea, you know, Laura Palmer is not just this this pure and, and vivid thing that people saw. She has a much darker side. She has all sorts of sordid sexual secrets. She has a diary that is central to the the phenomenon that is about all of the terrible things she has done and the terrible things she knows. But within the mythology of the show, she's, as near as we can tell, maybe was kind of created to fight Bob. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I just, I think that to Lynch, women are this sort of other, this sort of mysterious, magical other. And sometimes that's fetishized sexually. Sometimes it's fetishized visually, but it's always fetishized. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. We want to know what you think about the return of Twin Peaks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH and on Twitter at PCHH. Tasha and Eric, thanks so much for being here. Oh, Thank thanks you. for having us. All right. So now I'm going to turn it back over to Linda. Thanks, Stephen. Good to see uh, you guys again. And thanks, Derek (laughs) and Tasha. Before we go, we wanted to take a few minutes and talk about a few things that have been in the news. We're just going to do some bullet points. First of all, we learned this past weekend of the death of actor Martin Landau, who was 89. You might know him from, you know, anything from North by Northwest to Entourage, believe it or not, (laughs) the kind of IMDb page I love. But Stephen, you have a favorite Martin Landau performance that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I just wanted to mention if I've talked about my love of the movie Ed Wood on this show before. And this is the the movie that Martin Landau won an Oscar for, a supporting actor Oscar. In Ed Wood, uh, he plays Bella Lugosi, who is literally at the end of his life when he films Plan 9 from Outer Space. So I've actually got a clip here of, of Martin Landau as, uh, as Bella Lugosi. I have no home. Haunted. Despised. Living like an animal. The jungle is my home. But I shall show the world that I can be its master. I shall perfect my own race of people. A race of atomic supermen that will conquer the world. Thank you, Stephen, and thank you for bringing us that uh, that remembrance of Martin Landau. So he was not the only loss over the weekend. As a lot of you probably know, director George Romero also passed away. Romero is best known for pioneering zombie movies beginning in 1968 with Night of the Living Dead, followed later by his Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. 
But his influence in horror also fanned out to Martin and the Mm -hmm. Crazies and Creepshow. And for a more thorough introduction to Romero, uh, you might seek out Noel Murray's 2009 AV Club feature on him, which is part of their Gateways to Geekery series. Glenn, what do you have for News of the Week? Uh, the 13th Doctor was announced, uh, and it, it is a woman, Jodie Whittaker. This who is on is, uh, Doctor Who. This is Doctor Who, exactly. Uh, she is from Attack the Block, most famously, uh, but also Broadchurch, uh, mm-hmm. and she's great. And also, and also, it has been established that Time Lords, this particular uh, species of aliens, uh, Gallifreyans, whatever you want to call them, uh, can change gender uh, every time they regenerate. So we've been following this one alien for 13 regenerations. So by law of averages, it should have happened at least six yeah. times by now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, also, they can change race. So this is a first step. Uh, Jodie Whittaker is a white woman. Uh, it's about time for a person of color to step into this uh, institution and, and uh, remake it and make it more fresh and new. So it's about time, but there's more to go. Thank you very much. Glenn Weldon. And before we go, I do want to pass on the very good news that Glenn is recapping this season of Game of Thrones mm-hmm. for our blog, Monkey See. You should be able to find those every week by Monday morning, right, buddy? Yep. All right. And of course, spoilers abound in those. That's it for this episode on Friday of this first week of our uh, new experiment of two episodes a week. We'll be talking about the new Christopher Nolan war film, Dunkirk, and telling you what's making us happy this week. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. 